0: Welcome to the recording of the U.S. East Coast Collive virtual meetup. This meetup is hosted by Amir from Venn City and is made possible by Salto Systems. Enjoy the recording.
1: Yes, we can start. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. So nice to see you all here. in The first Collive meetup for the East Coast USA. Woo! Uh, <laughs> My name is Amir and I made it the social impact and data analytics exam. I'm going to be the moderator for this meetup today. Um, we're meeting today to discuss the future of the college and co-work industries in the post COVID-19 world. But before we dive in, I think it's important to acknowledge the extremely complicated period of time we are having this discussion. Just as we thought that the days of shelter in place and economic shutdown are drawing to an end, that we were relieved that the worst is behind us, then came the tragic and outrageous death of George Floyd and as a result of police brutality. I think that the cry for justice that is being sounded by so many American and global communities emphasizes again just how much we need to change in our society. The commitment to change things for the better, it starts with each of us in our own little corner of the world. And if I may borrow from your governor's words, we should not aim at getting back to our pre-COVID normal. We must build a new, a better normal for all of us. Uh, So today we will start to investigate a little bit what this new normal might look like for colleagues and co-working with the help of three experts gonna speak and I'm sure it's gonna be fun um, so first it's important to start by thanking our partners Collive and Salto Systems. and I want to invite Kate to introduce colleagues to everyone
0: hi everybody good morning good evening good afternoon I don't know where you are around the world it's uh, I, I am tuning in from London so it's 10 o'clock in the evening here so, it would be a good evening for me. Uh, I'm just going to share my. Here we go. So, sorry. <laughs> um, so, I am Kate, and I am the lead ambassador for Colive, and I'm also the UK ambassador. I uh, just want to tell you a little bit about who we are and uh, what our mission and our vision is. So, Colive is a, a global collecting organization. Uh, it's a non-profit organization, it's an ecosystem and a do and our mission is to promote the Colivi phenomenon or Colivi revolution, as I personally like to uh, refer to as well, because I believe we are living that. Um, how do we do that? We do this by empowering the professional activities of our members, connecting Colivi professionals and educating the global industry. Um, how do we achieve that? It's it's obviously all about the police movement, and I would like to share with you a little bit the highlights and what we've been working on in these few months of 2020. Uh, We have already onboarded a lot of ambassadors, more than 10 from different countries around the globe, um, as we are a global um, association. Uh, We have uh, one of our ambassadors from Australia who's on the panel today. We have Amir from the US, uh, we have ambassadors pretty much everywhere around the world. Uh, another thing which is very important that is gonna happen this year, it's uh, the book that is gonna be published. It's written by our uh, director, Guy, who is on the call as well with us today. So thank you for being here, Guy. Uh, the book will be available in July 2020 and uh, it's, it's a fantastic resource and it will be a landmark on how to build life-enhancing, co space, and obviously how to scale it. Uh, We also have a membership uh, where you can sign up and connect to everybody who is there from around the world. We share a lot of content. We keep a date on all the events, our events, but also other events that may be interested in our industry. Uh, And something very important that we also do, uh, we're going to have a virtual summit because we were supposed to have a live one in, uh, in France, but obviously because of COVID, everything has to be postponed. So our big live uh, summit would be in April 2021. And I'm looking forward to meeting you all there in person. Uh, we are also going through big changes in Coliva at the moment. So this month we will announce a new executive team, board member, and many, many more initiatives. So please do follow us. Uh, you know, send up to our membership if you want to or follow us on our social. And this is a little bit of an overview of, you know, who we are, what we do, and what our presence is in the co world. And, you know, we're all about sharing and creating together and anything that you need, we are here. So please, you know, be in touch and we'll be happy to help you.
1: And we are back. And we're back. I feel like we got even we grew a little bit in the breakdown, in the breakout session. We yes, added absolutely. a few of folks. Okay, so everybody, I hope you enjoyed it. We're gonna have another opportunity at the end of the conversation to kind of do it again. Um, and I think it's great. So three small things before we uh, get going with the panel. So first of all, just a note to everybody to notice that this session is being recorded, but for audio only. So only audio, being recorded and you can find it later with all the other meetup sessions in the college the website They'll probably tell us all where we can find all the sessions, the global sessions that they're doing. Um, the second thing is, uh, please don't be shy and if you can, if you feel comfortable, please share, please turn on your video because it's part of the fun to kind of see everybody's faces. Uh, and lastly, uh, please feel free to use the chat option at the bottom of the screen. You can use it to send questions during the panel and we'll take, will monitor it and we'll take uh, some of it from it as we go. And also um, a nice trick that Kate just taught us all before, if you can see that in the, in the chat session, there are three little dots. If you open it, you can see it and that way you can save the chat so if you wanna drop your contact details there and then save it to your computer so that you can get in touch with people after it's done, uh, feel free to do it and use it. And now we're gonna start with our speakers. So uh, we have three speakers and let's give them a chance to get, let's get start to know them. So uh, Alex, why don't you be the first one? but you're on mute sure okay
2: (laughs) cool hi everybody uh thank you for having me thank you for inviting me um my name is alex hillman uh i've been running a co-working community in philadelphia pennsylvania uh since about 2006 late 2006 so in the world of co-working uh i'm kind of a dinosaur uh and so is so is the community that, that we've got we've been continually growing and evolving um over the years so uh as co-living has uh has grown and emerged um it's been interesting to sort of see these sort of sister communities uh find their way together so it was exciting to be invited here um uh under very strange circumstances uh that we're all sharing so um I'm, i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be part of the first one of these uh as well that's really cool um I'll use a little bit of my remaining time to share um, a, a, a challenge to this group as I'm looking around the room. And obviously, I can't see everyone's face here, um, but we've been having a lot of conversations in Philadelphia about the um, the environment of the police brutality here in the U.S. And it's brought a lot of conversations into our own community about the fact that Indy Hall is a our 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 black and brown population is a rounding error unfortunately to begin with the members that black members of our community are incredible but they are in the vast minority um and philadelphia is a majority black city so something is clearly off um and one of the conversations i've had with a lot of our members as we've worked through some of this really challenging stuff is um i didn't know to think about that early on i was just looking around at who was you know, had cared about the same stuff I did and as the community grew, we we grew forward and it's it's really interesting uh, and challenging to navigate this now. So as I look around this room and I see um, if there are any black members of the community here, uh, uh, especially Americans, Uh, I hope there's a a way that we can find to support you, but I hope the next time I come back to a meetup like that, we can find some ways to have um, more, more uh, black members of this community as well. That's going to take work and it would be worth investigating, you know, why are the, why are these folks not here with us today? Um, Obviously there are, they're there, um, but I'd like to be seeing them here part of the conversation. So with that, thanks.
1: Thank you very much, Alex, uh, for for introducing and for sharing those words, and we'll probably touch a bit later. You mentioned your community. We'll touch a little bit later more in depth on what you did with them. Um, Jorn, our, our Australian ambassador.
3: Yes. Go good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's 7 a.m. here in the morning. Uh, very happy to join this U.S. meetup. It's interesting for me to see what the uh, co-living scene is like in uh, in the U.S. and learn from you guys as well. Uh, Background is very traditional hotels in the beginning of my career, moved to consultancy, concept development, uh, mainly in Asia Pacific, Uh, lived in China, Jakarta, Singapore, London for a couple of years. And more recently, um, I went into the more disruptive uh, business models like co-living here in Australia. I set up uh, Hamlet Co-living. We grew the portfolio from one to nine uh, locations in about a year. And at the moment, I'm also consulting uh, for operators, developers, investors uh, in this scene. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to share my thoughts on what this scene is going to look like uh, post-COVID. In Australia, there's clearly a different situation uh, uh, with COVID than in the U.S. because the total number of deaths here was just over 100. Um, And basically, everything is opening up again. So we're very fortunate here to be on an island that could be uh, locked off. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to share what I think is going to happen and uh, look forward to it.
1: Thank you, Thank Yorn. You, he was modest to say that he is from Australia, but when we talked about, with him before the conversation, he kind of gave us a whole scheme of what's going on in East Asia and everything. So, uh, we'll obviously visit that later on during the panel. Sure. And last but not least,
4: Chem. Hi guys, Um, I'm Chen, as probably you can hear, I'm from Israel originally, I'm currently located in uh, Brooklyn, New York, Um, I grew up in a kibbutz, so I kind of uh, born into the co-living thing, and and in 2017, um, I started officially with my two co-founders, David and Orr, Venn, Uh, That started from our own private uh, dream and need need, um, to live in kind of the neighborhood of our dream. uh, Our naive um, uh, dream became uh, a company uh, that uh, put in front of our eyes to change the way people live in cities around the world and create a place for uh, a better place for community living. Um, today, we are operating in three cities in Berlin, Tel Aviv, and New York. Uh, we are managing more than 50 buildings. Uh, and the idea is to create a network of shared homes, spaces, um, connection to local services uh, in order to foster uh, community life. Um, so, yeah, a lot more to um, to explain. Uh, I will join Alex and uh, kind of... Uh, invite all of us uh, to use our voice and privilege um, to do a change in those days. Um, probably it's going to be another, um, another meetup soon. So, uh, Kowaliv, thanks for having us, and uh, let's have fun.
1: Okay. Thank you, guys. Nice to meet you. Um, so, let's start by talking about Uh, by sharing the thoughts about what happened to you and to all of us in the last few months. Um, What were the main challenges that you, your company, or your industry experienced during this COVID period? And since Yohan is coming from the region closest to where it all started and is also the only one of us that's already on a Friday in the future, I'll give you the, the first
3: Okay, well, the future looks bright, guys. Um, I think, uh, in general, what we've experienced, and I'm just going to talk about Australia just for a bit, is that uh, the industry that was hit hardest was the traditional accommodation industry. So we're talking about hotels, talking about holiday parks, that sort of stuff. What we've seen in the co-living scene is that the occupancy actually didn't drop um, significantly. Uh, in fact, it stayed pretty stable. Um, and that also had to do with the fact that the country was just in lockdown and nobody could actually leave the country. So mm-hmm. nobody had actually the option to to leave the co-living spaces as well. There's only two main operators uh, in Australia at the moment, Hamlet and UCO. So it's not a huge scene, um, but uh, the domestic uh, scene of people that rent in Australia is massive. So... Um, it's basically uh, saying that uh, uh, people should have left their own houses, which just didn't happen. So overall, the industry co-living has has pretty much survived. And I think with COVID, a crisis always accelerates trends, right? Um, it doesn't really bring about new trends, I believe, but it just accelerates trends. And uh, co-living is one of those trends that um, will be catapulted because of this uh, situation. And I can see that already happening where people are truly having a hard reset about the way they think about how they live their lives, how they want to share um, uh, resources and the, in, the interest from investors, the interest from even banks, you know, very traditional lenders towards our industry is becoming apparent uh, even now already. Uh, and I think it's, it's actually going to do us you know, as tragic as it sounds. I think COVID is actually going to have a positive impact on, uh, on, on our uh, business.
1: Hey, thank you, Jorn. Uh, Let's continue with the coal living industry, but in the United States. So, Hen, take us across the the Pacific.
4: Yeah, Um, so I think we can divide it uh, shortly into two, um, like uh, immediate uh, impact and um, larger challenge that we've been facing. Um, In the most, like in the first days, first weeks, uh, we've been mainly um, kind of, I won't say struggle, but challenge with um, how to do rent collections uh, in a thoughtful and a sensitive way. Um, At the end of the day, we are managing um, lots of members uh, and buildings. Um, So all the issues around rent, especially in our target audience, uh, were well, mostly millennials and young people it was uh, an interesting uh, challenge and obviously uh, while minimizing our business risk uh, which is kind of you know finding the balance uh, secondly uh, operating uh, in hyper hyperphysical uh, business with property management repair and maintenance cleaning and so on um, it was a pretty interesting challenge to kind of Uh, keep the members and our employees safe at the same time. Um, Later on, a few weeks after we kind of understood, tried to understood what's going on, uh, we started to face with the question or challenge of how can we create a supportive environment to our members? Uh, In a way, how can we uh, perceive and give them the, the content and the service and the experience that we are creating? Um, again, as an hyperphysical business that put in front of our eyes, um, human connection, human touch, connection between the neighborhood to the, to the members, it was pretty interesting to kind of shift every, everything into a virtual uh, uh, content and platforms. Um, and lately, sales and marketing. Um, how can we reduce uh, vacancies while no one uh, leaves uh, his or her home? was really interesting um so we pretty fast uh shift everything into virtual too we created a sale process an onboarding process um a virtual one um yeah so these these were like the main challenges and main uh, impact in in our uh, east coast co living thing
1: many challenges he mentioned, from daily operations all the way to sales and to growing the business during these un, un, uh, unprecedented times. Um, Alex, how how is it been going on with the co-working situation? Are you kind of emphasizing some of the stuff here? What is like different from what yeah. our guys have been talking about?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, Joran's point that, you know, part of the reason that co-living sustained through this is because people weren't allowed to leave um co-working had kind of the opposite effect people were told categorically specifically do not go to work if you don't have to and co-working spaces are designed for people who don't have a place they have to go to work um they they often have a very good reason to want to leave home but now being told and in some cases strictly enforced in most cases strictly enforced by the government um co-working spaces were hit really hard um and you know, I can, I can, I'll start with the, the tough parts and then I'll talk a little bit about maybe some of the, the positive signals inside. Um, I think one thing that was universally true is there's no playbook for this and emerging industries like ours are used to figuring out as we, it out as we go, but we're not used to everyone having the same problem at the same time and nobody having done it before. And so everyone's looking for somebody who's done it first to make a call Um, and there was a lot of like scattered chaos at the very beginning and actually we were one of the first spaces in the U.S. to close ahead of a government mandated closure Um, frankly only by a few hours but we had been working on the closure plan for about four days because we sort of saw the writing on the wall and said even if the government doesn't mandate it my priority is the people inside this building not the building. Um, and it's probably safer to close, even if it's a short-term thing. At that point, it looked like maybe two weeks. Easier times. Um, <laughs> uh, so just like figuring out what to do, and then Indie Hall has sort of a unique role in the industry, especially in the states, but also internationally, in that we've been doing this for a long time. So people often look to us. So we were one of the people, people, we were one of the groups that people were looking to and saying, "Hey, what is Indie Hall doing?" And so I felt a sense of responsibility to not only do it do it well, but also document it and try and share it with other people, which is just another interesting, challenging layer for us. Um, the, The good news for us is that we've had online community as a part of our operations since before we had a physical space. We did not start getting in the business of workspace, we got in the business of building communities, which was a mix of you know offline gatherings and online community for continuity in between. And eventually that club wanted a clubhouse and that's how we started our first coworking space. Before anybody knew what coworking was, I couldn't sell coworking because no one knew what it was and I didn't even really know what it was. So um, we have a lot of practice, over a decade of practice with the tools, with the best practices while a lot of the industry was within a few weeks, trying to figure out how to launch their first online community. A lot of people turning to events and things like that, things like this, but having no experience with the tools, no experience with the communication, promotion, all those kinds of things. So we had a bit of a running start there, but the best part of that was, is we could kind of skip ahead of how do I run a zoom meetup and more, how do I make a zoom meetup feel more like a community experience? and so we've been putting a lot of our energy over the last three months into you know what we do is we create places for people to gather i think that's the common theme between co-working and co-living um the internet is a place to gather the tools don't always work the way we're used to but understanding the tools their strengths and weaknesses means that a big part of our work over the last three and a half months has been And that the hardest parts but also the most rewarding parts have been understanding those strengths and weaknesses and really making online placemaking work for us and it's helped us retain, you know, 90 plus percent of our members where a lot of the industry has lost 50% or more.
1: Wow, that's, that sounds super impressive. I mean, keeping this high range of uh, membership that sounds fantastic. and definitely, I, I kind of take a lot of the points that you're talking about, like how do we create alternative content? What's the virtual versus physical in the world? And these are exactly like the topics that we'll drill later on when we start talking about the future. But I also kind of take love the point that you've said about, you know, how do we share the knowledge between all of us, right? Like people looking to you and kind of how do we can knowledge share between each other because it's all new to all of us. Yeah. Um, and I think this is like part of the reason why we're doing this meetup and why we like this meetup and this session so much. So uh, I want to challenge uh, our speakers to go even a little bit deeper, kind of into the into the hardships before we start going on and about the future and talk about optimistic. And uh, so I want to kind of hear a little bit more about the how was it? How was the side the side of the house? Like how was the rent collection that you mentioned? How was like the occupancy, how was, did you see any churn or anything? Uh, and Alex, you already kind of shared with us, so I wanna hear from him a little bit, share with us on that.
4: Yeah, um, so as I mentioned before, all the rent collection was um, relatively challenge, challenging and we kind of, uh, we spoke a lot between, I mean, in, in we, Inner, inner team, how we're supposed to do it. Um, and at the end of the day, we decided that probably transparency is the best way uh, from both sides of the field. Uh, we decided to be extremely transparent with our landlords and extremely transparent with our members. Um, so I can say that most of the members stayed uh, because we are operating in a relatively different model than most of the co-livings, we are doing um, long-term leases. Relatively, we are doing 12 months plus. Um, we incentivize people to stay uh, more than a year, and we promise pretty like flexible and uh, interesting um, uh, perks for it. So I can say that most of the members stay. Um, few extended. Uh, we we few extended and few people left. Um, most of them were foreigners that had to go, go back to, to their country, um, Australia or different places in the U.S. Uh, in addition, we gave uh, an advance discount on our membership uh, and then created some kind of um, relief to our members. And we decided to cut uh, late fees. Um, so we gave our members the opportunity to pay us uh, along the months while communicating that to our uh, landlords. Uh, in addition, we created a um, pretty ad hoc tool, but uh, we connected, uh, we created an, an, an ability for our landlords uh, to see in real time the collection rate uh, for each building, uh, kind of um, deep look into our backend systems, which again, it was uh, relatively uh, transparent play. Um, I can say that those small, um, small uh, steps created Uh, more than 90% collection uh, in terms of like, uh, comparing to the cities uh, is pretty high. Uh, We're in Brooklyn in our area, it was um, almost 80%. So um, it was a really nice uh, uh, number. Um, And again, I can say that transparency and uh, open conversation and open uh, um, communication with both the landlords and the members uh, probably were the key. Um, and today we're seeing a relatively high um, renewal rate, mainly because people don't want to go out and look uh, for a new apartment in 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 those times. So, as uh, Jorn said before, co- the, the COVID created um, pretty bad things for the uh, for the for the uh, for the world, but it accelerated and created a few interesting opportunities for co-living uh, operators. Yeah, he own. He yeah, no, look, in,
3: in, in, in Australia, everybody's really protected by the government. So that goes for landlords, but it also goes for tenants. So tenants are protected by the Tenancy Act which means that as a landlord and as a co-living operator, you can't just get rid of people If even if they don't pay rent. It takes at least three months before you can take action. Um, so before all of that uh, comes into play, obviously there was a lot of communication with members uh, about how to help them out, uh, indeed with uh, deferring payments of, of rent. A lot of the members uh, within Hamlet are hospitality workers, basically all of them lost their jobs. Uh, couldn't go back home so that was tough um, the local hospitality workers workers that lost their jobs were actually supported by the government um, by giving in an, an income so they're on a, a scheme called JobKeeper, uh, where they are given three thousand dollars a month uh, which actually allowed them to uh, continue to rent and and stay in the uh, in the housing that they uh, arranged for themselves so it, it is a very Protective environment, uh, both for the landlord, tenants, and and the operators. Um, a lot of government support, and that's actually helped uh, continue the industry uh, basically as it was. Um, of course, a few fell f- through the cracks, and and people have tried to help them out as much as possible as well. Because you know, if you can't leave the country, you got to live somewhere. So, <clears throat> um, yeah. But but in general, um, heavily protected, um, pretty much unscathed. Yeah.
1: I would like there's there's some things that we can learn that we can adapt for uh here in the Oh it's,
3: I, I think it's a whole different discussion about uh you know the state taking care of people you know the yeah. social security if you like
1: yeah 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 I'm sure but it. it's uh, it's very interesting I don't know about any other uh it's not a typical thing that we see. Um, okay, so there's, there was a question from the chat. I think it was because of what Alex said, but it's probably relevant also to him. Uh, so the question was, uh, what have you done virtually or online to continue building the community? Or kind of what have you been able to bring up virtually that you didn't think would be possible?
2: So Alex. Sure. Um, so, couple of things. One is um, well, I, I'll speak a little bit bro- broadly f- quickly first In is that a lot of folks, even though we had a, pr- a heavy online presence, there was a lot of people who like hanging out online was not their n- normal life. And so things like Slack and Zoom, they knew of those tools at best, but they didn't, like that wasn't a, a, a part of their day or a part of their life. I think for technology workers, in some cases, that is the case, but our community extends beyond that. And so there was a lot of onboarding that was um, that was necessary. And truthfully, I don't think the onboarding is all that different from co-working or co-living. For some folks, it's natural, but for a lot of folks, there's some just like uh, uh, not It's not telling them how to do it, but it's like showing them how to be, right? Best practices, things like that. Um, things that we, we, uh, we did that worked really well, um, I think a couple of the key things is like setting specific times for activities, even if those things are not a structured conversation like this. So we set 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. every day as like a coffee conversation. Um, which I know is something that folks were often doing, but then getting frustrated when not a lot of people were coming, or when attendance kind of trailed off. Because they, when often it's because they weren't uh, either those conversations weren't valuable, or folks were not getting what they wanted out of it. Um, our's have stayed consistent throughout, and in fact, they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more people are looking for a touch of serendipity in their day. And that kind of brings me to the the main point that I want to make that answers Gee's question is. The thing that we realized within, I don't know, our first 30 days or so is um, everyone was really missing serendipity, right? Again, in shared spaces, we love this sort of casual bumping into people, overhearing a conversation, the topics that we did not plan, those kinds of things. And when everything is structured, everything is regimented. I don't go to a Zoom unless I mean to, or it's like at most a game hangout. And even that's super planned, like figuring out how to create those serendipitous experiences. It's hard. Um, My favorite example of something that in our community that I would have never picked but came from one of our members is the game Animal Crossing became very popular during quarantine. And they said, well, what if we started setting aside an hour on Wednesday nights just to play Animal Crossing together? The tricky thing is, is Animal Crossing doesn't really have a good multiplayer mode. It's actually very confusing. Um, and so what it ended up being is just people coming in and being on, on Zoom, sort of like you're sitting around a table, but playing the game on their own. So it wasn't a multiplayer game necessarily, but playing a solo thing together, which I think is often the a very subtle social dynamic of, of these shared spaces that folks don't think to, to create. And I think that there's a lot of room to experiment there. Not something I would have thought until we realized how well it worked when we did it and how much people craved it. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that's one of, one of many examples of, mm-hmm. of the finding things that are, it's a thing you would do on your own. And the only new factor is we're doing, we're picking a time to do it together.
1: I, I absolutely love what you're saying. That's because it's really like ties into, you know, this is like basically the essence of community building, but you kind of, the way that you do it is in the virtual space. So like you said, like building a tradition, repeating a thing over and over, you people get used to it and then it grows. And this is like how you, everybody who deals with community knows that this is how you grow community organically by doing something over and over and then let people kind of take and start leading that. So it's it's fantastic. I I love it. Um, Hen, do you want to share some examples of what we did?
4: Yeah. So um, in general, we decided that we're going to be uh, persistent, persistence, um, radically. I mean, um, every event, every uh, uh, content that was before hyperphysical, we decided that we're going to find a way to uh, make it happen. Um, actually, I see that uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney Baran, our community manager, is, uh, she's in the group too. So um, Sid, I know I didn't prepare you, but uh, can you give us a few examples from content that have uh, been created?
5: yeah for sure so echoing the words that were just said before um persistency was definitely key for us and this sense of repetition and making sure that members really understood that every week certain events were going on and that no matter what was happening they could always jump in at any moment um one of the things that we wanted to I guess really bring to the forefront was this idea of, yes, a virtual event, but this question of how do we bring some kind of physicality into the mix? And so what we did is we created these kits that members could either, at the beginning actually, we went around and dropped off kits for our biggest event, which is our dig in dinner. And what we did is we created like your pizza kit and we would go to every single building and drop the kits off. And that created a sense of responsibility on the members' end to really show up. Um, And we found that that really, really worked. We also did these Let's Talk sessions, which were originally started as um, a way to share how everyone was feeling and to give emotional support. But because it wasn't as structured as the typical events that we would curate, we decided to bring in official speakers. And so these speakers would come in, there would be a theme, questions would be drafted in advance, and we were able to create some structure and, and a higher engagement level by doing that. So, that was our strategy. Anything to add, Ken?
1: <laughs> no, so yeah, thank you, Sydney, and Ken. I'm, uh, I'm knocking off some points for you for using uh, the, the friend. You cannot use that lifeline anymore, it's done. It did. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, but it was a great opportunity to hear from somebody that actually is leaving that day to day. Um, okay, so we are kind of past the midpoint of the meetup and I wanna shift gear and start talking about the future. I see that there are a couple of questions, but um, let's start talking about the future. And I think that once we are thinking about the future, um, and the reopening and everything, the big question that is kind of concerning both co and co-work is what happens to the to the customer's willingness to share spaces with other people right what's going to be we're going to open the doors and will people still be willing to share stuff? What happened to the first person during this time? Um, what do you guys think Jon, let's start with you
3: sure look, I think in general, people have a very short memory, and I think that's going to happen in this case as well. Um, Surely this is going to linger on, the whole experience has been horrendous and had huge impact. But overall, I don't think in the future the willingness to share spaces will change. But having said that, um, what we do see here in this region is that there's a lot of demand for private spaces in within co-living as it is. That was po- uh, pre-COVID and that will continue to be the case post-COVID as well. So having a private studio, a smaller space, but larger communal spaces where you can meet, I think is going to be the trend. Uh, People still appreciate that privacy um, where they can come home, sit on the couch, watch TV, have their own bathroom, uh, can actually invite people to their own space. And if they want to look up the community, they can just step outside and you've got these fantastic communal spaces where you can, can mingle. Right. And I think that's something uh, I see developers look at. It's also, of course, uh, how are you going to make the numbers stack up when it comes to construction costs? Um, people are looking at modular construction to overcome, um, the obviously you need a little bit more space if you have private spaces in your, uh, in your buildings. Um, so, yeah, in answering your question, I, I, I think people will forget soon. Uh, to be honest, I think mid-next year, hopefully, everybody will be in the mindset again, okay, mm-hmm. well, that was a tough time, but uh, hey, we're doing most of the things, again, that we, we were used to. Mm-hmm. Um, co-living will be accelerated, but I think private spaces in general were already, in this area anyway, um, uh, popular and will continue to be popular, mm-hmm. so studios.
1: Interesting so you, you say focusing more kind of the short term, like the structural difference and again accelerating uh, Trends that were already on the market, but then taking them to the next level kind of lane and, and assuming that the preferences will Kind of yeah, pretty much stay stay the same. Yeah,
3: but yeah. what, what we see here as well is there's they're going to be uh, larger buildings especially in China uh, in, in, in those countries that have massive population Um I was talking to a developer the other day in Shanghai. He's opening a 1,000 rooms, all studios. Um, And then, of course, you know, how are you going to create a community within uh, a 1,000-room building? That's, of course, the million-dollar question. And um, there's been a lot of talk about that. You can create mini communities within uh, floor spaces. You know, on the 11th floor, you've got... Two different community leaders that that um, uh, tie that particular floor together. So there's different sizes of community you can cre- create within your buildings and within your community, right? And um, and making especially use of the the your community itself to create community rather than pushing it onto your community. Get uh, in touch with your. With your stars that already have that natural ability to tie people together, everybody recognizes them, um, and make sure you empower them and facilitate them to actually naturally uh, uh, develop that community. So you don't have to hire more community managers per se. That's not going to mm-hmm. naturally evolve in a in a better community. Uh, so it's. It's, it's larger buildings, smaller rooms, uh, making use of, of naturally evolving community by facilitating people. And we were talking about it in the pre-meeting just now. You know, community is the hardest thing to crack, um, especially because it's a transient sort of business where people leave all the time. How are you going to create a culture as a company uh, that will sustain the same language, that will sustain the same experience? And that really needs to come, I think, from, from the operators, whereby you have a very clear purpose. Um, the why question is incredibly important, and you stick to that. You stick to that in your marketing. You stick to that in your day-to-day communication with people, uh, in your events. It just has to filter through. That's going to be your distinguishing uh, factor as well in your, uh, in, in your marketing in getting people on board, becoming loyal ambassadors of the brand. And there's enough space for different brands in this market, I think. So, experience design is a, is a massive uh, is 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 massively mm-hmm. important, I believe, going forward. There's tools for that. Um, yeah, and and I've seen so many great uh, uh, concepts already popping up that are tapping into new niches. Mm-hmm. I was talking to the guy Jeremy Antler of uh, Upstart, who's really tapped into the music business and and people in a in the creative industry by building uh, musical studios within their co-living spaces, just facilitating them to be able to record stuff. And I think there's many different niches that we can, uh, mm-hmm. can create. Yeah. yeah,
1: definitely. I think, um, I think definitely the question of community and content and what experiences is going to be like is a big question. And that's kind of the big topic that we're going to tackle next. But, uh, I want to hear uh, now for the other two operators that we have here uh, and Alex. And there's also like, uh, so again, what, what do you think the preference of people, did they change? How, how would they feel about sharing space? And there's was like, uh, and also like a relevant follow-up question on the chat is kind of, uh, how important is going to be ensuring a sense of safety, uh, in kind of, in a way to allow people to share spaces and, uh, uh kind of what steps are you guys taking or thinking about taking to implement. So um, why don't we go with Alex and then uh, to the co-work and then sure. move over to him.
2: Sure. So um, I have a couple of thoughts. One, the first is uh, I think one of the dis- the really key differences, similar to what I mentioned before, within co-living, depending on the scale, you end up with sort of a built-in advantage for... Mitigating COVID risk in that you sort of have built-in living units, right? Depending on sort of the cellular structure network, you know, people tend to bond in small groups, and then you have them come together in in bigger groups. Um, uh, Depending on exactly how that's set up, I think that there's a lot more. There's a lot of opportunities to introduce actual safety precautions. Um, You know, one of the things we've been talking about with our public health experts is, you know, keeping the safe circles, relatively contained. Every time you introduce an outsider, it's higher risk. And all of that language makes me so anxious because all I ever want is to bring outsiders in and introduce them and introduce them to each other. That's why we exist. And so it's go- like all the public health recommendations are the complete opposite of all of our core design patterns, which is really mm-hmm. hard and scary. Um, so in, in some ways, I think co-living allows people to spend more quality time within a sort of home unit. Um, and so you can still build that value on the co-working side of things, especially um, you know, uh, when there is lots of variable presence, um, you know, not just transiency in terms of like you know, weekly or monthly, but you know, our daily population changes a bit, at least a bit, if not you know, 50% or more every day. And that's excluding people coming in for meetings and stuff like that. There is a, by design, change in the population every day, which means for us, that's a lot of extra risk. Um, the other big difference between Australia, where I think is one of the the, be, the better handled situations in, in the world, uh, here in the US, we have a hundred, more than 100,000 people have died. I don't think people are going to be as quick to forget. I think you're 100% right, people do forget, um, but what they choose to forget and, ha- and the context within which they choose to forget it are, are, are important. Um, uh, and I think that's, that's going to be part of it. And part of the way I'm looking at that, and I think this ties into the question about safety, is the things that people remember versus the things that people forget. The thing I'm focused on for our community and what I'm urging other co-working operators to think about is you will be remembered for putting the safety of your members first they will talk about they will remember it and they will talk about it and you have to follow through um the the second somebody somebody gets sick or worse or the second the disease the virus is passed to somebody even if your members don't get sick but contact tracing shows that it came through your space this isn't about reputation um, I want to be crystal clear about this is not about protecting your reputation. Um, it's about people will remember how you responded. Um, and for me, the core the core goal is is I want to, and this goes back to the same consistency of showing up with events, my actions need to be consistent, which is really hard when the situation is constantly changing where we're not getting new information. The last thing I'll say is, is this is top of mind right now because our city just entered the first phase after quarantine uh well i should say it will in about six hours um we've been waiting for this information i've been following the city's guidelines um as they've been evolving again talking to public health experts um i feel in, ex- and i feel comfortable saying this in front of this room and I, but i would say it in front of almost any other room full of professionals i feel extremely unprepared to reopen a co-working space tomorrow and I feel really worried about anybody who feels really enthusiastically prepared, because we're working with the same information. Um, and, I, and I, again, I, I have to draw that that distinction and say, it's not about whether or not it's safe or dangerous. It's, um, it's, what are you doing with the information you have, um, and and how, and that's not even what, you know where are you getting the information. Is this, are you making decisions based on the best long-term safety of the people inside? Um, because, you know, if I got to draw it to the, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't sleep if somebody gets sick because of a decision that I made. I just know that about myself. That's just me. Um, and that's where I'm going to make decisions from. So it's not even about the business. Uh, it's it's about the, the safety of our members. And I don't know what the future lies uh, ahead in terms of that. Um, but that's, that's the way I'm thinking about a question that is literally something I've got to deal with after I hang up this call tonight
1: yeah uh, we 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 wish, you know, we are a few weeks behind you we are also anxiously waiting for the for the step to come but i think that uh, the point you said about like creating this trust and about thinking ahead and kind of doing the you know what's right for for the sake if of
2: I, if i can time. i want i just want to hinge really quickly on that word you just said trust um another common thing i think across our industries is we have one we have one naturally occurring resource um, and it's not certainly not property or land. It's trust. Um, you have to create space for it to be cultivated. We don't create it. We create space for it to be created, and it takes a long time to build. And it can be thrown away in a second. Um, and so, and that's of, of between us and our organizations uh, and our members, between our members and each and them and each other. Um, so yeah I mean the logistics of this are hard and complicated but do not forget the element of trust between you and your team your team and your members like you got to look at the whole network and that's it's it's the hardest thing it's again I've been in this for 14 years I've n- never knew I was signing up for this. this is the hardest thing we've done out of everything we've ever done mm-hmm.
1: thank you thank you Alex that's a very very well said and very well put a very important point um, and to you, what do you think about sharing spaces about safety measures? What are kind of the plans that you have in mind for them? So,
4: um, in a nutshell, because I will just echo what uh, Alex and yours said, um, the way I see it, a uh, crisis or the the COVID the pandemic just uh, exposed kind of the real cracks or the real problem. Uh, of us as a modern or capitalist society. And I think that um, although like lots of people died and lots of people lose their job, I think the real the real pandemic and the real uh, dangerous situation that we are facing with is loneliness. And I think that that's the reason why co-living is here and co-living is here to stay in one way or another, because uh, we are touching in a basic need, and we are touching on, and we are trying to find a solution for uh, for something that is uh, much bigger than than ourselves. Uh, and I think that the the COVID just emphasised how lonely we are and how isolated we are from one another, and uh, how much time we are spending on like screens and Facebooks and social networks and so on. Uh, and it kind of uh, as Johan said, accelerate many things that had to happen before, uh, and I think the responsibility is on us, the developers and the entrepreneurs and uh, the, the the people that um, kind of uh, are building this this ecosystem, uh, because we must to be flexible and adapt. We need to be adaptable to new regulations, and safety and cleanness and so on. Uh, but we need to be flexible and adapt uh, uh, needs needs from our customers, so from our members. And the way I see it and, and I see our colleagues and I see uh, different developers, uh, I think we are absolutely in the, in the right place and in the right way. Uh, we will need to change models. We will have to change uh, uh, how we operate and our uh, operational mode. But I do believe that uh, the co-living is here to stay uh, one way or another, and as always, I'm pretty optimistic.
1: Pretty optimistic on the one hand. On the other hand, um, talking about the loneliness and how loneliness is kind of something that is kind of the underlying thing that kind of defines our society, which is kind of interesting It takes me to the next point. First um, of all, I want to say about loneliness that I don't know if you guys saw, but they just last week I saw a a big research published by the BBC, maybe it's the biggest research of all about loneliness, they interviewed over 55,000 people around the world and asked them about loneliness, Uh, and one of the most shocking results that they came up with was that the people who feel loneliest of all are the people ages 16 to 24, so 16, 16 to 24, they even feel lonelier than people who are over 75 which is kind of shocking because we always thought about loneliness as being something that, like, kind of the elderly experience more. Uh, but no, it's actually the youngest who feel it the most, which kind of brings me to the idea of community. And uh, even before COVID, there were a lot of many co-working and co-living spaces where operators were kind of raising the flag of community. Not all of them, I should say, but some of them. Um, and this pandemic kind of, again, puts everything in a different perspective and shakes it. So uh, I want to hear your thoughts. We kind of heard some stuff along the way, but let's talk about it in advance. What do you think, how important is community going to be like on the days that after the COVID? And uh, why don't you start?
4: Yeah, so um, pretty surprisingly, I think we saw the highest participation during the COVID. Uh, It relates to what Sydney just explained and um, I think it relates to um, a, a kind of change uh, we did uh, in Venn in the way we are looking at our um, the way we operate or the way we're trying to create or to build our community. Uh, in a way, we've been in a state of mind that, you know, it's a pretty famous uh, phrase of, uh, if we build it, they will come. I think it's pretty basic, you know, when operating or starting a new business or initiative. Um, after a few years, we change it to if they build it, they will stay. And I think that today by like allowing uh, our members to be active participants and kind of create their own experience and to control the the, the content and to kind of build so many things uh, when uh, we are just uh, kind of the platform to, to facilitate or to allow it, I think this is probably the key for uh, for, uh community creation or uh, loneliness reduction. Um, and I think that, again, in, in the last few months, I've been pretty shocked from um, the, the fact that people went back home to Australia or to Austin, Texas, or to many different places in Europe, in the US, and they still decided to participate and to be connected to the community uh, here in Brooklyn, uh, which means that uh, in certain way, community is not, connected to geography or to uh, uh, to the physical aspect. It connected more to the culture that you are creating, to your values. Uh, and I think that's the reason why we saw in different places in the world, in our communities and out there, uh, many stories of our members that kind of did uh, really uh, earth warming initiatives as helping to elder people uh, or to making like small gestures to neighbors and so on. Uh, and surprisingly after we kind of, uh, try to, uh, collect data and to get the, the, the impression or the, the feedback from our members, uh, we saw that only 15% of our members, uh, feeling lonelier during the crisis than before, which is relatively low number comparing to what's going on out there. Um, so, I think as we spoke in the uh, small group, uh, I, I, I think that community is not something that you can build. It's not uh, an equation or it's not, you don't have a, a code of how to create community. Uh, community is kind of an outcome. Uh, we need to create the best uh, um, infrastructure for a community to, to be built and to be created. Uh, and we need to be patient and to have um, lots of, um, time to, to to kind of build it.
1: Thank you. Um, Alex, what do you have
2: to say? Yeah, so um, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Uh, and I think for a lot of folks, their social, a lot of their social infrastructure was taken away roughly overnight. Um, and one of the really interesting things was in talking to friends outside of the Indie Hall community in particular, um, hearing from folks really expressing that sense of isolation, whereas within our community, uh, and to your point about, you know, engagement is, up, people are, they feel, like, most people are not feeling more lonely, or maybe if they are, the kind of loneliness is different, like, it's more of a loneliness of a certain part of the experience and thinking maybe you're the only one going through that and so we did a lot of work to try and bring those experiences to the surface so um i think i think that's part of it the other is i've always thought of loneliness as a similar sensation to hunger where when you're hungry um you know what that feels like uh, depending on how hungry you... like, It's very rare that you're so hungry it actually hurts. It's more psychological than physical, right? Um, but we're trained to be aware of that and we have a lot of knowledge and infrastructure about how to deal with that problem. We go to the fridge, we go to the pantry, we go to a restaurant, we go to a grocery store. Um, and... Uh, When it comes to loneliness, I think loneliness is a similar sensation to hunger, where it's rarely felt physically. It's more felt in our heads, in our minds, but we're not as trained to be aware of it, to put a name to it as loneliness. And I say we, I'm speaking of the general population. And in addition to that, most folks don't have a refrigerator to go to, to when they're hungry or when they're when they're lonely, right? So a co-working community, or frankly any community, whether it's co-working, co-living, a religious community, a neighborhood community—like I don't care where the community comes from—I think post-COVID people are tuned to that awareness in ways that they weren't two or three months ago, right? If they've experienced loneliness in the last three months, they've now had to sit with it for three months. They know what it feels like and they've started actively seeking solutions for it. So, um, I mean, I'll post a link to the the, the the sort of landing page that we we ended up putting together about after our first 30 days or so for our what we called at-home membership. Um, And you'll see, we honed in really acutely on really two main things. One is the full spectrum of feelings that come with isolation. And the other is a lack of structure. I think those are the two real things that community helps provide. An antidote to isolation and an antidote to feeling kind of like lost at sea. Um, People are really aware of that sense of feeling right now, maybe more than they have been in the past or ever. So I think people are gonna be actively seeking communities once they're uh, both allowed and comfortable. Um, so I think, again, online communities are going to be an even bigger boom um, or hybrid online-offline where I get together whether with you once a week because the risk is less once a week than for eight hours a day, five days a week. But throughout the rest of the week, I get to hang out with those same people on the internet. I feel like the hybrid version is really going to be where interesting things take hold. Mm-hmm. Um, offline I- environments and community experiences that did not have a truly cohesive... Online component um, are going to need to because not just because it'll be a differentiator, because it'll be the glue that allows people to stay connected in between the fewer in-person interactions that people are likely to have. I
1: I think I, I tend to agree with your last point. I think like the hybrid model is something that's going to continue with us for a long time. Um, and speaking of hybrid. I think I want to take us like we're near the end, so I want to take us kind of to my final question on a topic that kind of brings together co-living and co-working, uh, which is the work from home. Obviously, that we've all been experiencing, or at least the the people who are lucky enough for experiencing a lot of work from home these last few uh, weeks or months. Um, and it seems like that in one way or the other, it's going to stay with us into kind of the foreseeable future, again, kind of hybrid, some working from the office, some from home, kind of a change that might last with us, bringing these two industries together. So um, what do you think that this is gonna mean for co-working and co-living together? The fact that people are working from home, will work from home, I think it's interesting in this context of all the people here. So uh, maybe again, we'll start with Yorn from the developer side actually, which is interesting. Do do you actually see that more developers are kind of thinking of uh, embedding Mm. kind of a co-working space into a co-living project?
3: Well, it's very early days, but obviously what we've seen here is that uh, a lot of people have actually found that their job hasn't really changed. um, Now that they've been working five days a week from home, all of a sudden they realize, hey, I'm still doing the same output. Uh, Maybe I'm missing some meetings, uh, but uh, I can actually work from home uh, much more than I I thought I could. Um, Within the co-living space, I think what's going to happen now is that the co-living, co-working, will definitely be combined and it will actually be uh, mitigating some risk in, I believe in the, in the co-working space when you combine this. So you have your social spaces that can actually be activated in more than just events or uh, a social kitchen um, uh, by implementing co-working spaces. Obviously you need to put in the infrastructure proper, even better Wi-Fi connections or seats, what have you uh, office spaces, meeting rooms. But I think that's definitely going to be uh, going to be happening um the co-working spaces as they are with the WeWorks, of course have a very negative connotation um and i think that needs to be turned around i think this is an opportunity at the moment um that you alex as well have and i think you've already done a very different job from uh what we we has done as far as i can hear from your from your uh talking today <clears throat> but no definitely um I feel that, uh, especially here in Australia, about 60, 70% of all jobs can probably be done from home without people ever realizing it. Uh, so yeah, definitely an opportunity for developers to incorporate that in their uh, in their building plans.
1: Okay, so you kind of tend to look a kind of on the more positive side and more kind of seeing, yes, this makes sense. Yeah, kind of integrating, embedding stuff
3: yeah, and it's. It, I think it's also going to provide an opportunity for incubation of and, and cross-pollination of different uh, companies that that all of a sudden sit together. You know, maybe in your community you've got people sitting, uh, living together that never realized that they could actually build companies or actually build on each other's expertise. So it opens up a new possibility as well for uh, for the operators to to tap into that. Yeah. and and. <laughs> Yeah, when when I can just say one thing about that whole loneliness aspect, just, I'll, I'll do it one minute. If, if you've got 60 to 24-year-olds growing up on your uh, mobile phones and all of a sudden they come into a new uh, environment, you can't expect them all of a sudden to understand what it is to uh, function in a high-level sort of family environment, right? And it's almost that the operators now have to change their purpose into being an educator almost taking them by the hand and, and making them understand what a healthy, wholesome family sort of environment uh, could look like. And that's actually a very sad thing, uh, but it's, it's the reality for sure. Uh, that's just what I wanted to say about that. Uh,
1: thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. My, my bad. I, I skipped you. The last that's right. So Thank you for, right. thank you for, uh, for coming back and adding your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so Alex, what, what what do you think about the co-working situation? Do you think that like your community mix is going to change a little bit now that people come from like closer proximity or kind of the opposite? Actually, people kind of want to yeah. come from people who are kind of tired of staying at home. Maybe they want a, a space or so they never thought about working in co-work space, but maybe now they'll do it.
2: So I think, well, I think the, the co-working industry writ large is like really excited about the prospect of all of these people that, that suddenly can you know their employee you know, their employers let them work from home and now they're going to be able to continue work from home and the, you know people are seeing dollar signs um, and I don't fucking buy it like I don't think those uh, like the 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 co working operators that are going to spend the next three to 12 18 24 months chasing corporations who had their employees working from home um i think are going to do massive disservice to the industry um i don't think they're going to like ruin it entirely but i think they have the potential to collectively do even more damage than we work did um on the whole because on the whole they're chasing dollars not trying to actually help people um so i think the real opportunity is for Um, local well-networked operators. So a really good example that I saw, a friend of mine, um, her name is uh, uh, Jenny, I can't remember Jenny's last name all all of a sudden, but she's in Switzerland, and she runs an organization called Village Office. Um, And Village Office has been heavily focused on local co-working spaces, bigger networks of smaller spaces in villages, in neighborhoods, often near or uh, near train stations as people, so people don't have to commute, right? So it's sort of looking at the pattern you're describing, but from a, a totally different lens. Um, and they just announced a partnership with the regional, I believe, I, I don't want, I might be misspeaking a turn, um, it's called Village Office. Um, and they're partnering with the railroad company to put small regional co-working spaces that are operated by people who live in those neighborhoods in a cooperative model, um, but with support and infrastructure from the train station. I'm like, that is something that we should be paying more attention to. So. Um, you know, big operators that are, that are land grabbing right now, um, I'm gonna not waste a lot of time paying attention to mm-hmm. because a lot of people are going to, a lot of co independent co-working spaces, I believe are gonna go out of business, spending all their time paying attention to the people who are doing the land grab, the same way a lot mm-hmm. of spaces went out of business, paying too much attention to WeWork. Um, all that is to say, is there going to be more interest in co-working than before absolutely. But I want to make it clear that that is not the same as people looking for space to work. Mm -hmm. Right? I think people are going to realize, oh, I went from an office environment that I hated to working from home and that had problems too. So I'm looking for an environment that kind of gives me what I was missing in one, but also what I was missing, like what's the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to be crystal clear, that you do not need a co-working space to create co-working environments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the real opportunity, whether that's th- through industry operators like us um, or or other organizations, I think that's where where things are going to get really interesting is I, I see co-working, for me, the success would be co-working becomes more of a Kleenex brand, right? It's, it's the thing you use to blow your nose, right? Um, You don't need to go to a co-working space to get together with a group of people in a place where there is good, Like we need infrastructure, so Wi-Fi has got to be there, maybe some meeting spaces, things like that, but I think more people will be comfortable working from anywhere that they will say, oh, well, where do I want to go work today? I want to go work at the train station or in the park or at this cafe or in the lobby of this cool hotel or whatever it is. And I think that's like for me, that's both the ideal and frankly, a likely future COVID or not um, as the result of people being untethered from a specific place they have to work. Why on earth would somebody who's untethered from having to work somewhere choose to work in a place that all it did was clone the office experience that they hated and put a glossy veneer on it that doesn't make any sense at all um so we have to look really closely what what is the co-working experience um and what like where can that happen it happen everywhere so let's work with individuals and organizations to enable that and to to um to Jorn's point on education let's educate the workforce Hey, you don't need a fancy place to work. Here are ways to use the world around you as your workplace. How cool would that be? So I think there's a lot of opportunity to educate. Um, I really, really loved that point. Um, just not necessarily in, in the ways that I think folks are thinking mm-hmm. of.
1: Interesting. I, I I think that I think that you were kind of speaking about the, yeah, how you kind of create an experience out of it and something that's not necessarily. Attached to the space of all kind of like to the motivation or to the intent of people trying to kind of encourage a specific intent That's right. Um I do think however, that there's some There's high importance to proximity which is something that we see uh, and that kind of uh, a good way to take us to to him uh, Which kind of as, as you mentioned Van is kind of a hyper local organization operating both living and shared spaces for various types of uh, usages, kind of in a, in, in a neighborhood environment, in a close proximity. So, uh, Hen, what, what are your thoughts about um, mixing yeah. these two things so, up?
4: So, um, I, first of all, as, as employer and employee, I think that working from home, it's not sustainable. I mean, I already, I can't stand these Zoom meetings anymore. I can't see screen. I need to see real people. I need to touch um like real material and real uh, connection. Um, what leads me, but sorry, from the other end, I think we all understood how much time we we're spending on commute and inefficiencies and spending money on many electricities and coffees and cakes and so on. So the solution that um, we are trying to build actually, uh, I think it's like the someone mentioned walk from home, and when we started, then we ran uh, a research. We did some kind of calculation, uh, and we came to the conclusion that in 2030, cities going to be um, probably too condensed to uh, populate, and we kind of gamble on the uh, geographic, the, the the like the the neighborhood infrastructure in order to create this. Walk from home uh, and not necessarily to your work, but to your local coffee shop and kind of saving uh, like the time to commute and to like spend time out there and uh, you know, pollution and so on. So, we are experiencing right now, even though we didn't open yet our co working space that I can like show you by the way. Um, So, this is Vance co working space and it's like. uh, we have more than 200 people uh, living three minutes walk from this space. Um, so, in in my point of view, uh, regardless of when, uh, this combination of living and walking, not in the building itself because it's going to be too uh, like um, too small, but in the neighborhood and many initiatives and projects uh, that will combine short commute or walking distance. Uh, probably going to be an amazing solution and probably the kind of the future of the life-work balance in a way.
1: Yeah, so uh, interestingly, we are kind of, this last question took us all to kind of an optimistic ending. It seems like that all of you are kind of very optimistic toward the future, uh, which is nice even though you're facing, like, you're in the midst of the challenges, you can still look forward and see a bright future, which is very exciting and kind of the way I was hoping that we were, uh, I I guess many of the people on the line that are working in those industries were kind of hoping to hear. Uh, So I hope you guys really enjoyed. We are kind of nearing the end, so I know we didn't have a chance to get to all the questions in the chat, Um, but, you know, this is like the first meetup, I'm sure that first of all, if you still have a question that was left unanswered, feel free to reach out directly to the speakers or to me or to Kate, and we will kind of make this connection later. Uh, and definitely we'll start this. This is gonna be like an ongoing tradition. We're probably gonna probably announce soon the next meetup. And if anyone here on the line wants to kind of take initiative and host the next one or participate in speakers speaker in the next year, feel free to reach out to me. And we will kind of make this happen